So, two nuns walk into a bar. They ask the bartender, what's the difference between barrel-proof, cash-strength, batch-proof, and full-proof? Stick around if you want to hear what I told the nuns. <laughs> well, that was the beginning of a great joke that I'm not going to tell the punchline to, but I will tell you the difference between barrel-proof, cash-strength, batch-proof, and full-proof. And before I get started, I want to give a shout-out to Nishan I'm gonna take a wild stab at the last name, Meridian, I believe. He asked this question in Bourbon Real Talk community, and I was like, you know what? This is like the third or fourth time I've heard this, and I saw some of the answers, and some of you guys were wrong. So, I thought that maybe it's a good opportunity for us to dive into it. So first off, we are talking about proof. Proof is a way to disclose how much alcohol content is in a bottle. Now, proof has had many different legal definitions in many different countries over the years, but in the United States, proof is the alcohol by volume times two. So if it's 50% alcohol by volume, then the proof is 100 proof. Originally, this term was created so that the taxing entities would be able to tax the whiskey at an appropriate rate based on how strong it was. So if you think about it from a taxing authority, if somebody's gonna sell a cash strength whiskey that's say 130 proof, um, and you're charging taxes just based on the volume of the bottle, but not the amount of alcohol that's in the bottle, it'd be easy for a producer to avoid taxes simply by releasing their product at a higher proof, knowing that the customer was gonna proof it down later. So the government came up with a way to figure out that they're gonna charge different tax rates based on the alcohol by volume that's in the bottle. Now, there've been various methods over the years to figure out what proof was. And the original method was the burn method. And basically what they would do is they take a little bit of the whiskey and they try to catch it on fire. And if it would burn, then it was at proof. And if it didn't burn, then it wasn't at proof. And that's how they decided how to tax. But that's not the very best way because it depends on the ambient temperature. So if it's hot, like say 97 degrees, alcohol will burn all the way down at 20% alcohol by weight. So this is a different term. It's not alcohol by volume, it's alcohol by weight. Um, but if it's cold, say 55 degrees, the alcohol by weight has to be 96%. So almost absolutely pure, ever, ever clear level uh, won't, won't burn all the way down at, you know, if it's below 55 degrees. Now at 75 degrees, it's 50%, which would be what we consider proof. So in a regular indoor air conditioned environment, if it burns, that's proof. But the reason why there's so much variance is because ethanol is extremely evaporative. And when you catch alcohol on fire, it's actually the uh, vapor of ethanol that's burning. It's not the liquid itself. So if you put that liquid in an environment where there's a lot of evaporation, you're gonna get flames. Now this is where it gets cool because one of the other methods that they used to determine proof was the gunpowder method. And basically what they would do is they would take some gunpowder and they get it wet with the alcohol and they would see whether or not the gunpowder would still catch on fire. And it turns out that if your proof is about 57.15 alcohol by volume, not by weight, so that's the more traditional method, which would be uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 114.3 proof in the United States, then it would the gunpowder would still burn. 
So that's how they did it over in England. In the United States in 1848, the US defined 100 proof to be 50% alcohol by volume. ABV is required on the label, but proof is only permitted. You don't have to have the proof. You do have to have the ABV. Now this may come as a shock to you, but there is water in your whiskey or at least some of the time there is. So traditionally water is added in the whiskey making process three times. The first time is in the mash. That's when they take all of the grains, they're ground up, they have to add water to it before they add the yeast and any enzymes, and that's the fermentation process. And so you're gonna add water. Just so you know, when you hear stories about, you know, how great our local water source is, and that's the secret to our amazing whiskey that we make, that's the water that's going into the mash. All of the water that goes into it later on in the process has been totally purified and is indistinguishable regardless of what the water source was. So the second time that they typically put water in your whiskey is after distillation before it enters the barrel. So <clears throat> bourbon in the United States can be distilled all the way up to 160 proof, which typically it's distilled around 140. The higher in proof you distill to, the less of the original flavor compounds that are in there and it becomes more and more like vodka. And so most distilleries have determined that their whiskey tastes the best when they distill it to around 140. But there's a problem. In the US, you cannot put a mash bill whiskey in the barrel above 125 proof. So most people are distilling above 125. They have to proof it back down to 125 so that it can go in the barrel at a legal barrel entry proof. And that is typically the second time water gets used. That water is usually reverse osmosis or distilled water, which has no compounds in it that are going to affect the flavor. The third time that water typically gets added to your whiskey is after the barrel is dumped. While a barrel is aging, let's say that the whiskey went in at 125, depending on the humidity and the heat, the proof can go up or down, but typically in Kentucky, the proof is going to go up. And whiskey has to be put in a bottle above 80 proof to comply with the law. So there's not a lot of brands that release at cash strength or barrel proof or whatever it comes out of the barrel at. Most brands have a particular proof that they're targeting and they have to add water to that whiskey to bring it down to whatever that proof is. And again, that water is totally purified. It's not affecting the flavor at all. Little side note about water, when you go to Kentucky and the major distilleries talk about their limestone filtered water and how it has calcium and that's what makes the whiskey great and it's why the best racehorses in the world are from Kentucky. That's all a bunch of bullshit. Uh, every major Kentucky distillery is now on municipal water. They don't have a well that they're pumping the water out of and all of that stuff. And so while it's a great sounding story and it was probably true at one time, at this point, all the major Kentucky distilleries are not really using that limestone filtered water anymore. So now that we've talked about the three different times that water gets added, let's talk about the last two times and how distilleries can play with those two numbers to produce a particular flavor that they're going for. So imagine for this scenario that there's distillery A that they put their whiskey in the barrel at 125 proof, but they want to bottle their product at 90 proof. And then distillery B puts their product in the barrel at 115 proof and they want to bottle at 110. So let's say for the purposes of this example, both distilleries have 
an increase in proof by 10 proof points. The first would end up at 135, but they want it at 90. So they have to add a bunch of water to get it from 135 all the way back down to 90. In the second scenario, where they went from 115 to 125, they only have to water down to 110. So what does that mean for you as the consumer? It means that more of the product that you purchase spent time in the barrel. And that's a, a very interesting way to pull out more flavors because in a barrel, there's compounds that are ethanol soluble and it's easy for the ethanol to pull those flavor compounds out of the, the wood. And there are other compounds that are more water soluble and those compounds are pulled out by the water. So generally speaking, a lower barrel entry proof equals more flavor and less flavorless water. And you're buying more of what spent time in the barrel and less of what just came out of a filter. So you might be asking yourself, why aren't distilleries just all going in at a lower barrel entry proof? Well, because it costs a lot of money. So if you have a still that throws off a ton of new make distillate and you're putting it in barrels, if, you're, if you are putting that in a barrel at a low barrel entry proof, guess what you have to have? More barrels to store the same amount of ethanol, which increases cost. Higher cost translates to higher cost per bottle, which makes it harder for you, the consumer, to get your hands on it. And it increases the cost of aging overall because you have to have more facilities to store barrels. So you, the other thing you have to take into consideration is time causes ethanol to evaporate um, and water tends to evaporate with higher temperatures and lower humidity. The combination of evaporative loss of water or ethanol is generally what we refer to as the angel share loss. Uh, there are some people that think that that terminology should not be used. So usually I use the term evaporative loss, but that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the difference between barrel proof, cash strength, batch proof, and full proof. So let's jump into that. Hey, nice hat. Hey, thanks. Nice lanyard. Nice rocks glass. Thanks, man. <laughs> nice travel case. Nice blend topper. Thank you. Nice candle. Nice bottle bag. Thanks, man. That's a nice tumbler. Nice woman's t-shirt. Oh, thanks. Nice uh, extra schmedium shirt. Get yourself some nice things and get all the compliments that come along with it. Shop bourbonrealtalk.com. So first off, barrel-proof cash strength and batch-proof all mean the same thing. Very simply put, that when that barrel gets done aging, whatever proof it ended at, whether the proof went up or the proof went down, they dump it out and they don't do anything to affect the proof. They don't add that third round of water. Typically, when you're talking about these products, your proof is gonna end with a decimal point. It's usually not gonna land directly on a number and it's probably going to be pretty high above 100 proof unless it was in a really weird aging environment where the proof was able to go down. Why the different terms that mean the same thing? Well, typically in the United States, we refer to our cask as barrels, and typically overseas, they refer, refer to their barrels as cask. So the term barrel proof is more common in the United States, although there are some notable exceptions, and the term cast strength is more common overseas. Another thing to take into consideration is that barrel proof and cast strength can both be used in association with a single barrel product, 
But once you start to make a product where you're dumping multiple barrels into one vat and you're making a batch, then you could also throw in the batch strength terminology. Although most distilleries, whether it's a single barrel or a batch product, are going to use the barrel proof or the cash strength. So that begs the question, how is foolproof different from these other terms? And the answer is that foolproof means barrel entry proof. So remember I said that there were three times they add water and that the second time they add water, they're going to bring the new make distillate down to the barrel entry proof. And every distillery, sometimes distilleries have different barrel entry proofs for different brands that they're making that whiskey for. And let's say for, you know, convenience sake that it's 125. That's the most common barrel entry proof because it's the legal limit and it's the most efficient and it produces the lowest cost of whiskey for the distillery. So a lot of distilleries use 125. So let's say it's 125. If that whiskey that's in that barrel is aging in an environment where the proof goes up, if they want to label it as a full proof, they're going to have to proof it back down to 125. In the case of say 1792, their barrel entry proof is 125. When they pull the barrels and they decide that they're gonna make a foolproof batch or a single barrel, they are taking barrels and blending them together. And if that blend ends up being above 125 proof, then they have to proof it back down to 125 to, to call it a foolproof. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the barrels in the batch have to be above 125, just the average of that batch after they dump them. Now a single barrel is a little bit different because if after aging it dropped in proof, you wouldn't be able to make a full proof out of it, but you still could make a barrel proof or a cash strength out of it. So in conclusion, barrel proof, cash strength, and batch proof are all the same term. Full proof means they use the third use of water, proof it back down to barrel entry proof, and there you have it. That's the difference between those terms. So if this is your first time watching the channel, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and tell you a little bit about our show philosophy. We here at Bourbon Real Talk are about connecting people through bourbon. I lost a loved one to suicide in 2014, and in the aftermath of that, I realized how alone and disconnected my brother must have felt when he made that decision. And it was during this time frame that I was starting to get more involved in the whiskey enthusiast community and I wanted to find ways to bring people together. And I started noticing at bottle shares and whiskey events that people of all different walks of life were brought together around this brown spirit. And I thought, I should try to take advantage of that. And so part of the reason why I started Bourbon Real Talk is because I wanted to get you connected to whiskey so that you could get connected to others and know that you have a place and that you're wanted and that you've got something to look forward to because you've got encouraging people around you that care about you. Um, during that process, I also started to get more involved in social media, and I saw something that I call trolls, and they're people that say hateful things to strangers online to make themselves feel more important or whatever their motivation is. But that made me realize that if somebody can show hate to a stranger that they don't know online, there's nothing that keeps me from loving a stranger that I don't know online. And that's why I end every podcast the same way, and that's this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. All right. Um, what do I want to sip? <coughs> what do I want to sip? <laughs>
What do I want to sip? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh. Okay, I'm going to sip this. I'm going strictly high proof today. Yeah. You it's know, Monday. It's Monday. Because it's Monday. What What other high reason do you Monday. need? You don't need any other reason. High proof Monday. You heard it here first, folks. Depending on the humidity and... Someone didn't know his volume was on. Hey, but did I pass the vibe check? You see me start to get down, bro? That's right. That's how we do it around here. A whiskey troll is a person who seeks negative attention and uses contrarian attitudes to derail civil discussion in online forums. They communicate in ways they never would face to face because they're keyboard warriors. Their only goal is to make other people feel inferior. Hi guys, I'm new here. I just got my first Blanton's. And trust me, you probably paid way too much. I don't care much about the Blanton's, but nice <laughs> There's no way that she didn't buy that at secondary, idiot. Oh, I know how you got that bottle. So, are you sick and tired of the whiskey trolls running your fun online? Well, that's why we started Bourbon Real Talk Community. Congratulations. Let me know what you think when you open it up. Hey, welcome to the group. Let me send you over a sample of Blanton's Gold and straight from the barrel. See how you like those. I remember back to my first bottle of Blanton's. It was the birthday to my son, and we enjoy it every year on his birthday. Congrats. So if you're looking to connect with some people online who aren't head over to facebook.com and join Bourbon Real Talk community today.